The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. For some of us here, as we watch this video um, of Abraham and hear that story and see that story, it might just be utterly confusing to us, maybe even somewhat offensive to us. Who in their right mind would bind up their son, lay him down on an altar, and attempt to take a knife to their own child's throat? Those are really good questions, of which I hope today you'll be given an answer. For some of us here, the actions that we see in this clip, they might generate some anxiety in us. We might ask the question, what if God asked me to give up something that I hold as most precious or valuable, like my children? Or my spouse? And those are also good questions of which I hope today you'll be given an answer. And for some of us who are fumbling around asking questions about our faith and our lives, we see this video, we maybe ask a question like, What kind of monster God would ask a man to kill his child? I thought God was loving. That doesn't seem loving. Today I hope that all of us will be able to see and witness the love the mercy, and the forgiveness of God in this story. It's not easy to see at first glance, but it's indeed there. For Abraham and for all of us, the story found in Genesis 22, God is asking us, posing this question to us, and it's, he's saying, who do you say that I am? And our response to this question is of great concern to him. Today, if we were to take a look at maybe our schedules, some of you may be actually checking your watch or your calendars right now. How might you ask this question? Who do you say that I am? How might you answer that question? Well, are we complaining to family and friends about how busy we are, how the summer is just going to fly by because of soccer schedules, vacation plans, or work obligations? So in answering this question, we might have to confess, you, oh Lord, are an afterthought. Today, if we took a look at our emails or our Facebook page or our web histories, some of you may actually be checking those right now. How might this question, who do you say that I am, be answered? Well, who or what are we blogging about in our posts? Who or what updates are we trying to constantly check during the day? When we get online, where's the first place we find ourselves browsing? So in answering this question, we might need to say, you, O oh Lord, are irrelevant to me. Today, if we took an inventory of our thoughts, some of you might be lost in those right now. How might this question, who do you say that I am, be answered? What takes up most of the space in your minds? Is it what people are thinking of me? Is it, will I ever be good enough? Is it, will my kids or spouse be good enough for me? Is it, will my bank account balance ever reach the double, triple, quadruple digits? In answering this question, we might have to admit, you, Lord, are my good luck charm. Our honest answers to these questions have a common denominator, and the common denominator is a divided heart, a heart that vacillates or bounces between saying things like, you are a God who is able to do anything, and you are a God who needs some improving. And divided hearts are enslaved hearts. 
Like a divided country, a divided heart cannot stand. It keeps us from experiencing the joy and the freedom of God, our Father, who desperately desires us to have a relationship with him. Our passage today in Genesis 22 reveals to us a father who God asks to confront his own divided heart. On this Father's Day, we'll see a man who is called the father of our faith for a reason. As God pursues him with the question, Abraham, who do you say that I am? Abraham demonstrates for us a definitive answer. God, through this test of faith, binds Abraham's heart to himself by doing major surgery on it. In binding his faith to the Lord's character and to the Lord's promises, Abraham is able to experience firsthand incredible blessing. We'll see first that God's command pierces Abraham's divided heart. And then God's promises start to capture Abraham's divided heart. And finally, God's pleasure multiplies Abraham's heart. It's my prayer that as we walk through this passage, what happens to Abraham's heart might indeed begin in our hearts as well. Instead of reading through this passage all at once, it's a narrative. We're going to walk through it section by section. But before we do that, let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts and our minds for what he might say to us today. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are a holy God who created mountains and created stars, skies, universe. You created all of these things. And yet you are still able to call us each by name. I pray that you would call us by name this morning. And that you would work to pierce our hearts with the things that divide that you would captivate and capture our hearts with your promises. And that in our faith and our response of faith, that you would multiply it to the people and the nations around us. Thank you for this time in your word. And we pray, Father, that you would use it fittingly and fruitfully. And that you would get this man out of the way so that people might see the glory of the God we serve. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read verse 1 to 4. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. First, let's get some quick backstory to Father Abraham's life up until this point. The first three words of the passage say, after these things. You might be asking, what things? What's, what's going on? Abraham has been given a promise by the Lord that in his old age, he and his wife Sarah will give birth to a son who will give birth to an entire nation who will be a blessing to all people of every nation. And Abraham and his wife Sarah cannot believe 
They can't believe that since throughout their marriage, they've been unable to conceive and have a child. And Abraham, in his disbelief, takes matters into his own hands by conceiving a baby boy, Ishmael, with another woman. Not long after that, Abraham and Sarah do conceive their own child, calling his name Isaac, which means he laughs, marking how God made possible what was to this elderly couple impossible. After both boys grow into young men, Abraham is asked by God to send away his son Ishmael and his mother Hagar, no longer under Abraham's protection or care, but under the Lord's protection and care. And the story then picks up here. After these things, verse 1 says, God tests Abraham. For some of us, this might raise a question about the nature of God. Doesn't, doesn't God know all things? Why would he need to test Abraham's heart if he already knows what's inside of his heart? Well, God knows what's going to come out of Abraham's heart, but Abraham doesn't know. And for those of us hearing this message, maybe for the first time, we don't know either. What's it going to reveal? I think it's important to recognize that testing is not a trick. It's an exercise in faith, which is that remedy to a divided heart. This entire passage is centered upon this test. What is Abraham's heart going to reveal? Binding faith poses the question for Abraham and for us in this passage, who will you say that I am? There's a research study at Stanford University that involved children being asked to sit in a waiting room with an Oreo cookie in front of them, sitting at a table with an Oreo cookie. And they were told, you can eat the cookie now, or if you wait 15 minutes, you'd receive a second cookie as a reward. What was most interesting, I think, about this study was how the children responded to this dilemma. Their little divided hearts were on display to the researchers. Some of them would just look at the cookie and just cover their eyes. They wouldn't even look at it. Some of them would just run to the other side of the room like, just get away from that cookie. Get away from that cookie. And there's actually one kid that took the cookie and he just kind of pet it. Hello, little cookie. <laughs> In this exercise of faith, the kids waited for the researchers' return, and they needed to believe that they were actually coming back. The way in which they responded, either eating the cookie right away or waiting, was a test of their faith in the researchers' word. But for Abraham, in order for the test to be a true test of binding faith, he would need to be able to answer the question definitively, I know who God is, or I believe what God says. In order for that to happen, Abraham's heart needed to be pierced. And it needed to be pierced in the place that was most vulnerable, most prone to corruption or division. Hearing the words in verse 2 almost feels like a scalpel cutting with precision. Take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac. And sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Isaac, the promise that had miraculously come true, his firstborn, the one who had captured his heart, also had the potential to divide Abraham's heart between worshiping the Lord and worshiping his son. The Lord knew it, and I'm sure Abraham, in feeling those words cut across his heart, knew it as well. Firstborn children, in those days, were representative of the entire family. 
They manage the finances. They maintain the family's respectability and their status. And they're also responsible for maintaining the well-being, the financial well-being of all the other family members. To kill off the firstborn was like social, financial, and family suicide. For Abraham to be asked to sacrifice his firstborn meant that he had to bind himself, not to the hope of a successful future which his son could provide, but a future that only the Lord was able to provide. So the question maybe for us is what in our life do we believe that we cannot survive without? What words might you hear the Lord say that would feel in a similar way like a scalpel cutting across your heart? Take a moment to allow God to show you the PET scan of your divided heart to reveal that person. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your biggest fan or that place, your house, your job, your retirement or that thing, your reputation, your physique, your spare time that has the potential to be worshipped. On a much, much, much smaller scale, I remember when God cut a scalpel across my divided heart. When I was single back in my 20s, I had a beautiful and sweet dog named Casey. Her name stood for Killer Canine, of which she was nothing, nothing like that. And I was getting ready to move from Nashville to Colorado by myself, single guy, and I was saying to some friends of mine in Nashville, you know, I don't know anyone in Colorado, but I'm so excited because at least I'll have my dog with me. And just a week before my move out west, Casey was killed in a bizarre accident. I remember carrying her from the place she had died up a hill, crying my eyes out, and at the same time, strangely, being comforted by the thought, I am with you, Chad, wherever you go. God pierced my heart, but he also spoke to my heart with his word. And God pierced Abraham's heart, not to pass or fail him with this test, but to refine him with it. He may be doing that with you as well. As he reveals possible persons, places, or things that we we tend to want to worship, we want to respond like Abraham with obedience Binding faith after having our heart pierced and examined responds with obedience. You see that Abraham gets up early in the morning and heads out. I want you to think about obedience, maybe in your home or your school or your workplace. Your parent, your boss, or your teacher asks you to do something. Maybe something you would consider to be pretty difficult or challenging. Your actions, your response says everything about what you believe about this person that's asking you to do it. If you willfully choose not to do the task, you might be saying, you know what, you're a boss I don't even respect. If you do the task half-heartedly or only partially, you might be saying, you know what, you're a boss that doesn't seem to care or you're a boss I don't care much about. But if you complete the challenge with all of your effort and determination, you are essentially saying, you are someone I value and respect, and I'm concerned about pleasing. Here we see Abraham get up and begin traveling three days to the mountain where the Lord was going to ask him to use wood he cut up to offer his son. Three days along the road, walking and talking with Isaac while the knife weighed heavy in his pocket. 
Three days wondering what the next leg of the journey was going to be like, maybe with his son not by his side any longer. His heart was pierced. His eyes were fixed on the command of God. As he looked to the mountain where the offering was to be made, the question pierced his heart. Who do you say that I am, Abraham? And Abraham responds with, you are a God whose word I will trust. Is our response to God's word one of obedience or do we see his word more as an a la carte sort of menu? Do not murder. Check. Do not gossip or slander my brother or sister behind their back. Uncheck. Love our neighbors. Check. Love our enemies. Uncheck. We see in Abraham a resolve to listen because he believes what God asks him to do is for his good and because God loves him. Oh, if we saw obedience as less of a mandate by a strict overbearing boss and more as an invitation of a loving father to experience his joy and his freedom. Who do you say that I am? You are a God whose word I will trust. Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in, the, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. After Abraham's piercing of his heart. We see in this passage, Abraham's heart beginning to become captured by the promises of the Lord. One of the things I just find fascinating about this passage is the lack of reference to what's going on inside the hearts and minds of Abraham and Isaac. We don't, we don't hear Abraham offer any pushback to the Lord's request. That's strange to me. We don't hear Isaac saying back to his father, no, no, no way am I going to allow you to do this. The passage is written this way for a couple of reasons. First, if the test of binding faith is the primary focus of this verse of these verses, then what we see is Abraham's response to the test. The internal struggles of what's going on in their hearts is not what we're supposed to take away from this. Abraham's obedience is what we're supposed to take away from this. Second, the writer assumes you're going to experience the painfulness of what's being asked of Abraham in the dialogue and descriptions. When he says to his men, me and the boy are going over to worship and we'll be back. We don't know everything that's going on in Abraham's heart, but there has to be confusion. You said the boy would become a nation and yet you want me to sacrifice him. Abraham isn't in doubt over the Lord's command here, but he's unsure about how exactly is he going to do what he promises. The book of Hebrews reminds, of this, of, reminds us of this when it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises 
was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. The pain of the sacrifice, it's felt by Abraham and by us as the hearers, as we see his only son carrying the wood that eventually he will find himself laying upon. We see Abraham holding the knife and the fire, which will be used to slaughter. The expression, they both went on together, is repeated twice in this passage for emphasis. And it should cause our hearts to break as Abraham takes in the last few moments with his son. Some of you have or will experience maybe very soon the pain of sending a daughter or son off to college or to give them away at a wedding. As you're driving to their college together or maybe walking them down the aisle, you know, you know what's coming. You have a ride home without them. You have a walk back to your seat without her. They will no longer be your responsibility, but someone else's. But should we hold on to them and not let them go? It doesn't do either one of us any good. Imagine a father of the bride saying to the pastor when he says, who gives this woman to be married to this man saying her mother and I refuse to. The other day, my son began riding his bike without training wheels. And as I gave him that one big push that sent him circling around the driveway by himself, I felt this twinge of pain that eventually he's not going to need me. That twinge is good for us to feel because it reminds us of our purpose as parents of children, not to raise them in our own image or to hang on to them forever, but to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Fear here is synonymous for obedience that grows from faith, from binding faith. And Abraham is modeling for Isaac a mind, heart, soul, and strength that loves and fears the Lord above all other things. When Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for the offering? Abraham's not answering him with a pat answer or a lie by saying, God will provide. He honestly believes that in that moment, God will see to it that the sacrifice is made, whether it happens through the death and resurrection of Isaac or through some other means. But it's binding faith, binding himself to the Lord's promises because he doesn't know the outcome. He's resting and trusting in the Lord to provide. I'm wondering how many of us are being prompted by the Lord today to do something in which we do not have all the answers or do not know any of the outcome. As we spent the last couple of weeks focusing in on evangelism, do we struggle honestly with sharing our faith because we have no idea how the other person's going to respond. What about having a hard conversation with someone who's wronged you or maybe someone you've wronged? Are you hesitant to say the first words of you hurt me or I'm sorry because you're afraid they might get the last word? Fathers, what is the Lord maybe asking you to say or do with your son or daughter that would be maybe uncomfortable or awkward, but obedient at the same time. And I'm not asking you to sacrifice your kids. Maybe it's saying, I love you, son, to your teenager, your adult child. You don't know how they're going to respond to it. They might be uncomfortable, but you believe that God can use it for good. Maybe it's looking past 
the sinful actions of your daughter who's estranged from you and trying one more time to give them a call to see if she'll answer. I heard recently of a friend whose dad spent the majority of his life at work. And this person, when he was a boy, he was so hungry for his father's attention and affection that the only time he would get to be with his dad was while his dad was getting ready for work. And this little boy would sit on the bathroom floor and just watch him shave in order to get any time with his dad. Fathers, spending more time with your children and less at your desk at work might be risky because it could mean having to let something wait. You don't know how your boss is going to respond and you're cutting back to 50 hours a week. But you believe that God will provide the time to get done what needs to get done. For Isaac... Witnessing his father's faith in action was probably the most powerful role modeling a son could ever have. For your son or daughter, how might you model trust and faith in the Lord to keep his promises? In this moment on the mountain, as Abraham tied up his son's hands and feet, as he lay his precious only son's body on the altar of wood, and as he shot out his hand to shed his blood, his heart was captured and bound in faith to the promises of the Lord. Who do you say that I am, Abraham? You are a God who keeps your promises. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went up and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Not only does binding faith pierce and capture our divided hearts, this binding faith, when we wrap ourselves around the reality of who God is, it multiplies our hearts with blessing, enormous blessing. For those of us who are maybe asking the question, what kind of monster God would ask a man to sacrifice his son? We might have some of our questions answered by now, but we're still left with the question, why a sacrifice? A sacrifice of a whole burnt offering is one used in the Old Testament to bring what's called atonement or peace between God and man. And the reason there's not peace is because there's estrangement because of sin. We don't see a mention of sin in this passage, but we see it in loads of other places throughout the Old Testament as burnt offerings are made in order to make peace between God and man. The burnt offering smoke is described as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
taking God's anger for our sin and our disobedience and replacing it with a posture of peace and welcoming. And this sacrifice, this visible sacrifice, represents the exchange between a holy God and a sinful people. In order for Abraham to take this extreme measure of sacrificing his only beloved son, he would have to recognize the weight and the magnitude of his and his family's sin. It had to be so deep, so significant, so offensive to God that he was willing to forfeit his entire future hope by pouring out his son's blood to pay for the family's sin. I don't know if they meant to do this in the video, but I don't know if you saw right before Abraham lifts up the knife, he puts his hand on Isaac's face. The same thing done to a bull or a ram in the Old Testament before it was offered, signifying a transfer of guilt. As Abraham is stopped in his tracks and shown the ram caught in the bushes, he knows in no uncertain terms that his earlier words spoke to Isaac, God will provide, are completely true. God would take Abraham's faith and multiply it one billionfold. From Abraham and through Isaac, God, the father of all creation, who loved us, his adopted children, so greatly, he would send his only son, his beloved one, Jesus. He placed wood on his back, led him up a mountain to be pierced for our sins, allowed him to be consumed by death for our disobedience, in order that he might provide for us a blessing of life eternal. Romans 8.32 shows us a father's love in saying, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Through Abraham's seed would become the blessing of eternal life. The gates of the enemies would once again be recaptured, and we'd be able to walk into God's promised kingdom. Not just in heaven, but here, in the here and now. Sin is no longer able to hold us back because God's son was sacrificed and he was raised again. Not only was Abraham's family sin transferred onto the broken body of Jesus, all of our sin was. Not only was Abraham's faith transferred to his son Isaac, Abraham's faith is our faith too. Our hearts find hope in Abraham's story, because we too, through his descendant grandson, Jesus, are now part of this family. Oh, sinner, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Believe and bind yourself to his word and to his promises. Lay down the things which promise but never deliver a future hope. Receive instead the blessing of a God who raises you up to new life, a life that's forever. Who do you say that I am, Abraham? You are a God whose mercy never ends. Who do you say that I am, church? You are a God whose mercy never ends. Who do you say that I am, lost and wandering one, I pray you would bind the sin of your broken life upon the Son of God and declare you are a God whose mercy never ends. May God's mercy, his love, his forgiveness be found in the sacrifice of his Son, 
his only son, the one he loves. His name is Jesus, and his name means the Lord saves. And may our faith and our hope be bound up, tied tight to him and him alone. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm aware that as I'm standing here, I'm looking at a piece of paper that my son made for me for Father's Day that says me plus dad equals love. And I thank you for the love that you showed in this story. That you gave Abraham a picture of your deep and persistent and faithful love to lay down your son's life for us. To bind him up and put him on a cross for him to be pierced and tortured for our sin. You showed us your great love. Me plus my father equals love. And I pray, Father, that you would multiply and change our hearts so that this love we experience and recognize and own ourselves to and bind ourselves to would penetrate our lives and that we would extend that love saying that you are the first among all things in our lives. And we will declare that our God is a God whose word we can trust whose promises are true and whose mercy is never ending. Me plus my father equals love. Unite us and bind us in that love and help us every day this week to trust in it and trust in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.